God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Thank you, Susan. You're doing double duty today. Now we're going to dismiss for junior church. Great. Those trees down in the, um, the garden are massive. And uh, I've been doing a lot of tree work recently, <laughs> paying attention to roots and trees and things that are dead wood. And so, but uh, it all fits into this. I'm trying to bring it all together in this holiday season to think this is July 4th. But the idea that uh, the theme this morning, uh, just let me just give you straight out. God wants you strong. Period. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our God is an awesome, powerful God, and he wants you strong. And yet we are in a battle. We are in a battle, and sometimes it feels like when it comes to faith, your faith may be like a willow tree in a 90-mile-an-hour wind being whipped around because there's so many things that are happening. But God wants you strong. Not just strong. And hear this, he doesn't want you just to be strong. He wants you to be strong in him. For there is no strength apart from him that's going to take on that battle that we just sang about. But the thing in Colossians, we're going to see, uh, the thing in Thessalonians that we're going to see is that as God is at work, And he's working to make his people strong all the way throughout the world. And therefore, as he moves into this pagan culture of Thessalonica, we know know that what, what this says is that our God is at work outside of the nation of Israel. God is at work outside of the church. God is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work pursuing, opening people's eyes, bringing them to the cross to understand salvation in Christ among those who are not God's people because God is moving the gospel out. And therefore, we know that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit as it work. And, and so is the adversary. Satan is also at work. And here in the book of in 1 Thessalonians, I want to start with chapter 3, and I just want to highlight a couple of things. And so listen as I read 1 Thess chapter 3. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and to encourage you. And as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. And for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. 
that now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kind, kindly of us, longing to see us as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all of our distress and all of our affliction, we were comforted. We were comforted about you through your faith. For now, we really live, we really live if you stand firm, strong in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return to all the joy which we rejoice before our God on your account? And as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and that may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for each other, for one another, and for all people, just as we were doing for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Established, strengthened, durable faith in Christ the Lord wants you strong. And therefore, as we celebrate, celebrate this 4th of July, this freedom from the things that entangle us to make you weak, God wants you strong. And therefore, to understand that this freedom that we have in Christ is a freedom that comes with a price. We know it comes only in the presence and in relationship to being in communication to abide in Christ. Because when Christ moves into the heart of a man, the heart is set free. We studied about that in Galatians. And so Paul would say it was for freedom. It was for the purpose of freedom that Christ set us free. So keep standing firm, be strong, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And this freedom was a freedom not to be preoccupied with your concerns or your fears, but it was a freedom to be other-centered. And therefore, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, think about other people, serve other people. And therefore, because Christ has set us free, the real celebration that we have this holiday is that we rejoice. There's joy, there's hope, there's faith, there's love. We have, as Christians, a way of thinking that non-Christians don't have. And therefore, it only comes because of what we understand that God has done for his people by introducing us, bringing us into the kingdom of God. But that leads me with lots of questions. And the questions that I have is, why is it, why is it that some Christians seem to have more joy and more freedom and more peace and power and all those things than other Christians why is it that some people are strong in their faith and other people are kind of weak in their faith? Questions like, why is it that some believers are concerned about their walk with Christ and others just kind of take it for granted as though it's, ah, it's okay. So I'm, I go to church, I'm a Christian, but there's nothing more than just uh, old stories, nothing new, nothing fresh. Why are some people willing to get involved and, and give to others while others remain on the sidelines, just kind of watching what other people do. 
But in this book of Thessalonians, what you're going to find is a pattern for Paul through all the churches that he's dealing with. And so I want to give you this frame of mind to think, what is Paul doing? What is the Spirit doing? What are they doing to help people grow strong in Christ? There's insight we can learn from here and things that we can benefit as we go into Thessalonians. And so I want to, if you've got your Bibles, or you can't do this on your phone as well, but if you've got your Bibles, I want you to underline a couple things as bookends between these two books. So let me introduce you to 1 Thess chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. And so this is the beginning of the first part of the letter, and then Follow me as it says, we always thank God for all of you, and we continually mention you in our prayers. And we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now I want you to underline three things and pay attention to this. There are three things that Paul is praying about, thinking about, wanting to see them grow in. And the first one is, is that we thank God for your work produced by faith. Strong people work. And that work is produced by faith in Christ. Second, the labor, work, effort prompted by love. The motivation is you become a lover. And that what moves you, motivates you, is not what you gain or, or what you lose or it's not... It's about your love being giving, giving of yourself and, and showing Christ's love to others. It's producing that, that love that moves into endurance. Third thing, an endurance inspired by hope that, that in our Lord Jesus Christ. And as he introduces the book, Paul says, you guys are great because look at what you're doing. Your, your, your work produced by faith, you're laboring by love, and you're, you're enduring by hope. Now this is 1 Thess 1. And so now flip over to 2 Thess 1. And this is an interesting contrast. If you're a speed reader, you'll miss this. But go to 2 Thessalonians 1, right at the beginning again. And now remember, this is a beginning church, a baby church. It's just starting out. And Paul was there for three weeks and took off, and then the Spirit of God continued to help them grow strong. But notice what it says in 2 Thess 1. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ought to always give thanks to God for you. Brethren, as is only fitting, it's the right thing to do. Because, now notice what happened to their faith. Look at that phrase. Your faith has greatly enlarged. This is, this is miracle grow. It, it has great, not just enlarged, not just grow, it has greatly enlarged. So that says that there's a dynamic about faith that is conditioned upon the response of people in obedience and faith and understanding that people grow and their faith is greatly enlarged. Look at the second thing. It says the love of each of you grows uh, the love of each one of you grows towards one another, grows even greater. Not just growing, but greater growing. And so there's a, there's a movement towards strengthening the believers. As you see, Paul says, and the last thing he talks about, that you guys are going to continue to endure this affliction. 
that you're going through, this is in verse 4, it's not on the screen, but the idea that, that these people aren't going to quit. They're, they're growing strong, they're growing greater, they're growing more loving, they're growing in hope, and they're going to be solid people like those trees that will handle that 90-mile-an-hour wind. They will stand firm. Now, there's something that Paul must have taught them Something that they came to know, and I want to introduce this to you, in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, talks about two things about Jesus Christ. And I want to have you think about this in terms of your understanding. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Dealing with the weaknesses, dealing with the obstacles, dealing with the fears, dealing with the things that keep us from trusting, growing, Paul says we want to lay those aside. Well, the key here in this passage is in verse 2. Let us run with the perseverance, that's that hope, that perseverance and the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now notice there are two adjectives about Jesus. Two roles he plays, and I don't know if you know these roles. I hope you do. One is you know because Jesus is Savior, you know that he has introduced you into the grace that is in Christ because he is an author. An author. Well, what does an author do? An author auths. And so by an author, uh, sorry, he, he writes the script and so by writing the script, he knows the beginning from the end. As the author, he knows the plan. He knows the chapters. He knows the conditions. He knows the character and circumstances that these characters are going to go through because he has a redemptive story that he's writing in your life, in my life. It's a story about your personal testimony. It's about your family. It's about your parenting. It's about your marriage. It's about your work. It's about your life because he's using all of these things to change you, to make you strong because he set it up, because he's sovereignly working in all things to help us understand who he is so that we might be conformed in our understanding. So we reflect that grace of Christ because we know him. And we walk with him. He's the author of our faith. But notice the second thing it says. Now, if you're NIV, it says he's the pioneer. He's the pioneer. And the NASB says he's the perfector. He's kind of like the architect. I know these are the plans, and now I'm going to get to work. And I'm going to make that story come to life because he's the perfector. Now, I know that you know that salvation is in a Savior, the author. But I don't know how much you know that God is at work as the perfecter of your faith, that he is intent to help you grow strong in faith. So much so that when, when you read through the scriptures, pay attention to this, because what Jesus is looking for are people who are looking for him. And in Luke 18, when he came upon those people outside of the temple system, he went around. He was out, out in the villages. He was going from place to place, special trips to special individuals, but he was looking for something. And he asked his disciples, 
Will the Son of Man, when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? He said that to Peter when he said, I want to pray for you, but that your faith wouldn't fail, Peter. But now that I've strengthened in your faith, you go tell your other brothers and strengthen them in their faith. But I want to know if there's faith, uh, will they find faith? So Jesus Christ is looking for those people. He's looking for people. The Spirit of God is on the move looking for people. Second uh, Chronicles 16, 9. Great verse. Memorize this verse. Put this on your mirror and shave and curl your hair. Memorize this verse. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself, manifest himself, reveal this is who he is, that he's strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. And those whose mind is stayed upon them have perfect peace because they trust in him. The idea that God is looking for people so that he can strengthen his people to and fro in India, Pakistan, Iran, Mexico, Chesterland. God knows those who are looking, but sometimes they're not looking. The New American Standard says he may strongly support, strongly support, strongly support those whose heart is completely his. But that means that the heart has been given to Christ so that Christ can strengthen that heart and greatly enlarge the love and the faith and the hope. And therefore, the themes that Susan was reading, if you notice, all were from Isaiah. The Isaiah passage says over and over and over again, he gives strength to the weary. He perfects the weary through the weaknesses so that the weaknesses invite you to taste that good power, strength, firmness of God. Even the youth grow tired. Old people grow tired. Youth grow tired. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar. Boy, they're, not, they're, they're going above the circumstances. God wants you strong. And you will run and not get weary. They will walk and not faint. Well, when you think about this, this idea that Paul is working among the pagans, among the Thessalonians, among the Colossians, among the Galatians. You'll see, if you're in the Word, you see the Spirit of God working, changing people's individual understanding of who Christ is. And therefore, as you think about this, and you think about where we are in the American church today in our postmodern world, and our post-postmodern world, if you've heard that phrase, if you know what those are, the modern world used to have a truth. The postmodern world says there is no truth. The postmodern world says it doesn't make sense anyway. It's all chaos. And therefore, to understand that as Christians, we are in a, a fallen world with people with no faith and people not looking to God, and therefore they are weak. Of course you're going to have violence. Of course you're going to have confusion and chaos. But here's the question I have. I'm not, I am concerned about the world. I'm concerned about engaging people who have doubts and questions, as you do. But as I thought about this, if Jesus is looking for faith, what will he find? So on a scale of 1 to 10, if you go into the hospital, Sandy says, how much is your pain? So you say, ah, oh, it's, it's a subjective thing. That's about 6 or 7. You know, well, let me ask you this. How strong is your faith on a scale of 1 to 10? 
How strong is your faith? Today, right now, if you were to put this on a scale, how strong is your faith? How would you measure faith? Now, Henry and Charlie and others have got their report card from school. Let me put this trimester progress indicator. If you put this on your faith, measure yourself this way, church. One, it's not assess this grading period. We're not going to grade. No way. Forget it. But one, it's not meeting the standard. It's substandard. It's failing faith. Two, it's working towards those standards. Three, it meets the standards. Four, it greatly enlarged and exceeds and goes beyond. That's the top. Now, of those, of those categories, how would you measure your faith? Now, if you're like me, your knees could be trembling right now, like, ah, I don't know how to answer that question. But if Jesus were to meet you face to face and sit down at table, what grade would he give you? Well, the good news, he's not going to give you a grade. The good news, he's going to give you a grace. For no matter where you are, he loves you right where you are. But if you were to take that into particular areas of how you trust God in this area, but you don't trust God in this area. And so this idea of growing integrally, integrally, uh, comprehensively in Christ is that you bring all things under, you bring all things under the lordship of Christ. You know the first lordship major, I considered it major decision I ever had to make as a Christian. Now, this will sound funny to you, but it wasn't funny to me. I was going down the stairways at Ball State University. It's 4 o'clock Tuesday afternoon. And I had gym trunks on and a T-shirt on, and I was running down the stairs to go out and play softball with some friends. On the way I was going down, my Bible study leader, Paul Smith, came up the stairs. And uh, it was about 4 o'clock. Bible study was like 7 o'clock. And he said, uh, hey, Jerry, are you ready for a Bible study tonight? And I've got my mitt, and I've got my ball, and I'm running down the stairs. And I, and I totally forgot. I was a brand-new Christian. I, I wasn't used to doing Bible study, and I didn't think it was. And he said, Jerry, what's more important, baseball or the Bible? See you later. He continued upstairs. And I continued downstairs. <laughs> That question, doggone it, he said, what's more important, the baseball or the Bible? And I just became a Christian. And right there in that stairwell, I made a major, major decision. The Bible was more important to me than baseball. Well, I turned around, went back upstairs, did 20 minutes of fill in the blank really quick, and then I ran back down to do the softball. But that decision to put Christ's Bible study, you know, my my growth in Christ above what I normally would do was the first major lordship decision I ever made. And I've learned since then that being a Christian says one big yes to the lordship of Christ. Yes, you are Lord. And a lot of little uh uh-huhs. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Will you do this? Mm Mm-hmm. We do this, mm-hmm. We go there, mm-hmm. So it's this 
it's this idea that you're growing in these different areas and so that God begins to take over and influence and help you grow in these areas. But here's my conclusion. And I would say this clearly. The problem for most churches, unlike the Thessalonians, most Christians are not disciples of Christ. Most Christians are not learning about Christ. Most Christians are not growing in Christ. And therefore, their faith doesn't grow. Their love doesn't grow. Their hope isn't clear. And therefore, the problem is, when Jesus comes, when he said, go therefore and make disciples, I want disciples. Not Don't go make Christians. Don't make churches. Don't make people busy. He says, I want people to be learners. And I want them in all corners of the world. Now, the word disciple comes from the same word as mathematics. Bethetes. It means one who sits in front of the master to learn the algorithms. But he's a learner. It's what a disciple is a learner. If you hear Jesus teaching, if you hear the Spirit teaching, if you understand what Christ did on the cross, and you're in that learning process to transfer decisions to trust him, then you grow in faith. But we're not disciples. Many people are comfortable by going to church. Many people are comfortable with their salvation story of 30 years ago, and they haven't grown a whit in 30 years. But let me give you a couple things that Paul understood about learning. He said in Romans 14, 14, verse from the quiet time this week, and I, just, I read slowly. Sometimes I read very slowly. But he says this. Notice these words. I know and am persuaded in the Lord. I just stopped right there. But the, finish, the verse finishes, I know that I am persuaded that in the Lord nothing is unclean. I could go eat anything because in heaven you're free to eat because the dietary laws don't apply because you're free in Christ. But he notice he says, I know and I am persuaded. A lot of people know, but they're not persuaded. And therefore Paul will go on to say to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.14, but as for you... Timothy, you continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. You can have learning, but you may not be convinced of that learning. You may give the right Jeopardy answer on the question, question to the Jeopardy question. You know what? You give the right answer to the question, but you're not convinced of that answer. You may have the right information, you may have the right doctrine, but you don't have the right experience or the maturity to really validate what you say you believe. And therefore, there is a profession of faith, a confession of faith, but no experience of faith. And that's a dangerous place to be. So he says to Timothy, become convinced that what you believe is really what you really believe. And we believe in the United States, we hold these beliefs to be self-evident that all men are created equal. But we hold our beliefs, but these convictions hold us. So to grow strong in faith means to grow deep in what you understand, that there's more than just head knowledge, there's heart knowledge and life experience. 
And therefore he says in 2 Timothy 2.12, uh, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded, again, that Jesus Christ is everything he says he is, that Jesus Christ will do everything he says he will do. I am persuaded of that. A lot of people know, but they're not persuaded. They're not convinced. And therefore, Paul would say, go make <clears throat> disciples of the Thessalonians, Silas, Timothy. Now, what is a disciple? If you think about these, these, these people in Thessalonica, they were disciples. They were doing something different because they had things clear and they were working on it. What is a disciple? First and foremost, it's somebody who has been saved and baptized. They know that the, that the gospel is the only way to have new life in Christ. And you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, and your identity is no longer in what you've done or your performance or what you believe or what you understand. It's in a relationship with Jesus Christ who's looking right at you, walking right with you, is instructing you because you have this relationship. And you understand the will of God. You understand what pleases Him. You understand, you're, you're a disciple, and therefore you're saved and baptized into Christ. New life in Christ, first and foremost. If you're not born again, you're just doing civil religion. Second, Jesus said to the disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Don't put baseball above Bible. There's a kingdom principle. The reality is if you're not living according to the kingdom, you're living by something. But the master is going to teach you about what it means to be under his rule, the influence of loving people through grace. And then Jesus said, unless you do this third thing, you won't be my disciple. It says, if anyone <clears throat> doesn't take up his cross daily and deny himself, you cannot be my disciple. A disciple is someone who sets aside his will and prays what Jesus prayed, not my will, but thine be done. That cross means you're crucifying the flesh, the selfishness, the ego, because you're not living for your ego any longer. You're living for the Lord. And the joy of that, the joy of that, Privilege of being a disciple of Christ. Wow. He said to the disciples, follow me. And that means keeping in step. When Jesus takes a step and goes over to Galilee, you follow him. Because those are the two words that you learn the experience to become fishers of men. A disciple learns to know and reflect Christ. For a student is not above his teacher, but everyone after he's fully trained will be like his teacher. Realize that God wants you strong to be just as strong as he is. Wow, unbelievable. What a master we have. And therefore, when you have followed Christ in these ways, you will be like him. He abides in his word, John 8, 31, 32. If you abide in my word and my words abide in you, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you Free. He, it was for freedom that Christ said it's free. But it has to be staying in the very communication. What God says is true about you. What God says is true about your neighbor. What God says is true, period. But you abide in the truth, and you know that which is not true if you're a disciple. Last, you help others learn of Christ. And therefore, this gap 
that you don't see in Thessalonians. You measure their faith by their work of faith or labor of love and this hope that's going to continue on in that learning process so that you, you grow. And what Paul said in Thessalonians 3.10, notice that verse, that as night and day we keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now that means there's a deficiency in all of us. No one's died and gone to heaven yet. We're not perfect, and therefore you have a weakness, you have an insufficiency, inadequacy, there's something incomplete in your faith. And so how does God work to strengthen those things? Well, he sent Timothy. When these guys are being tempted and, 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 and when, God wanted this, um, when God wanted these Thessalonians to be strong, he sent Timothy because God sends people. And that's the thing for us. You are growing in Christ. And as you listen to those who God has sent around you to encourage you, to strengthen you, as to grow in discipleship, you will become established. You will become strengthened. You will become durable in the long run. And therefore, freedom that we celebrate isn't free. Our freedom comes with a price. At this day, as we celebrate today, I want to leave you with one question. As we go out and celebrate and do the fireworks and have fun today, the question that God put on my heart this morning was this. Are you more proud to be an American, to fight and defend her, than you are a Christian? Are you more proud to be an American than you are proud to be a Christian? If you had to die for only one, which one would you choose? Which freedom are you fighting for? Independence or interdependence? This day, as a disciple, it says grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ because your faith is greatly enlarged. Love of each one of you grows greater and greater and your hope becomes more clear. It's the grace of God that keeps us free. It's good news. God wants you strong. So brother, sister, listen, learn, and ask God to strengthen you and give you that faith. Let's pray. Lord, take these words. Make them our experience. For your glory and our growth, we pray. Amen. And please rise for our closing song.